we started making $50,000 a month, $100,000 a month, $200,000, And our family friends were coming to us and like, what are you guys doing? We're flipping land. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. <laughs> Ron, dude. Long time coming, brother. What's going on? Not too much. Happy to be here, Brian. Dude, I'm happy to have you, man. This is you and I've known each other for years now. Yeah, well, yeah, it seems like two years ago, I think we had a conversation about some coaching stuff. But uh, yeah, it's been a couple of years for sure. That's insane. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy how time goes. Damn, man. Two years ago, I was still working my corporate job. And now here we are. You guys have started a very niche investment strategy. And now like here we are today. So walk us through that period two years ago. Where were you then? Where are you today? So probably about, I'm going to go back a little longer, Brian, probably about five years ago, I was working a sales job, similar to your story. Like I was making really good money. I, I, I people kept on asking me for promotions, kind of like you preach. I, I was asked for promotions yep. so much. I'm like, no, I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to do sales. And that's literally like <laughs> please, my answer. Please. We need a sales manager for this office. Please <laughs> do it. You're like, no, I'm going to make less yeah. money. <laughs> Yeah, it was just like, and that that's my that was my mindset. No, I'm just gonna keep making more money, keep doing my sales thing. And then there's just a point like some depression kicked in, stuff like that. And it's just like, this is not for me. And my dad always told me when I was younger, coming out of college, like I was a big basketball person. And my dad told me, like, you gotta try coaching college basketball. And I had money saved up. I'm like, why not? So I quit that sales job and I went into coaching college basketball. I made five thousand dollars over a two year period. I had enough saved up. My wife helped me out, but it legitimately. But I can't go on my deathbed 60 years from now and be like, I regret not trying college basketball. It's a grind of an industry. You make no money, but I'm really happy I did it. But I go into my second year of college basketball. Like I knew my wife was pregnant. I knew I had to make some money. And we, I started finding out about land flipping. I was always interested in real estate entrepreneurship. And that's where land flipping came in. We tried a lot of different things. We learned from some different YouTube Academy, all that stuff. We were just searching on YouTube, trying to learn about land because no one was talking about it. Everyone was house flipping household mm -hmm. selling, all this other stuff. And it's still the same today. And this is probably four years ago or so now. Um, so we started that. Daniel, my brother and I started that. And we started making $50,000 a month, $100,000 a month, $200,000, $250,000. And our family friends were coming to us and like, what are you guys doing? We're flipping land. They're like, no, what are you actually doing? We're flipping land. And then they asked, like, can you teach me? Um, so that's when we were doing some one-on-one -on -one stuff with them. And they started to make money and tell people... And like now we have this inner circle of five, 10, 15 people making money around us. Like doing, it sounds almost like a drug thing almost, but they were just making <laughs> money around us as land flippers and learning. And then it, it's just the compounding thing of them telling other people. And that's when we, okay, we need to record something so we can help more people out. Our mission on what we do is creating freedom for people, creating freedom mm -hmm. for people through land, whether it's us coaching someone or us creating freedom for our buyers or sellers in our land. That is our goal. And that's really, that's my story, how I got into this. And we're up to, we've grown this business. We have 10 employees now. 
We just hired a COO who's taken over a ton of the day-to-day stuff. So that's our biggest hire we've ever made. But I'm trying to get more out of the business and more like overseeing the business, overseeing the growth. And that's where we are right now, Brian. So you just hired the COO. Is that six-figure position? Yeah, I I get reminded that every two weeks when I have to put in that apparel. Yeah. But Uh, yeah, he's... He actually, he learned under us, land flipping under us. So he just was a perfect fit. He was, he's a grinder. He just fit our culture, everything like that, our core values. And uh, yeah, he's been amazing addition. So for you as somebody that just recently has gone through their first six figure hire, man, I did an interview with Ben Kenny. I don't know if you caught that on this podcast a couple months ago. If you guys haven't checked it out, go check out Ben Kenny. It was like 300 square foot shack to success worth hundreds of millions of dollars guy not only takes home millions of dollars, but he completely changed how I viewed business. So before I was like, small but mighty team, solopreneur, I want to keep it as tight to the chest as possible with as few people. And then Ben was talking about such an abundant world that he was creating as he comes up with Gary Keller. So him and Gary had the same philosophy where they're like, okay, how do I gross a million? Now, how do I net a million? Okay, cool. So now I'm taking home a million. How do I have five of my closest people that work for me net a million? And then it's now how do I have 10 people that work for me net a million? And I was just like, dude, I've never even thought about that before. He goes, because as a business owner, you're creating so much for society. So I was asking him and I was walking through, I was like, dude, what is it like to make that first hire to do that? It's terrifying. So what was your thought process behind that? And walk me through that because that may not help the audience right now, but it's very interesting for me. It'll help them eventually. <laughs> yeah, so it's like a it's a personality thing. And like Daniel and myself, my brother and myself, I'm going to say Daniel a couple of times in this episode because he's my partner with this. Like I said, Anthony, who was our CEO hire, is a he was a student of ours. He was grinding it out. His girlfriend was pregnant. He's never been east of I don't know what it was Texas or something. We're in Ohio. He lives in California, and we called him. Daniel and I were talking, and we're like. Anthony would be perfect. Like we need someone to run the operations of this business. He can help on the land flipping side, our land flipping side, as well as our education side, his experience. And we just called him one day. Like we literally said, Anthony, you got five minutes to talk. And we just said, would you be interested in working for us? He's, would this be remote, I guess, in California? No, you'd have to move here. And that kind of shocked him. And he, I knew at that moment, like the way he took that, I'm gonna have to make a pretty good offer. And I knew I wanted him. From a mindset thing, it just kind of, Like you just got to make, he's going to make me more money. That's what I always go back to. If you hire right, if you do the right thing. And I knew him for 18 months, never thought of him as an employee, but I knew him as a person for 18. Exactly. Like he was, he was making money as a land flipper. He wanted to be more involved in the community. He fit all of our core values perfectly. So I knew over the long run, over a long enough time horizon, he is going to make us more money. He's going to grow our company, our vision. So once you get over that hurdle, I think that was the biggest hurdle for me. The money's just secondary. And like, maybe he won't make me more money in 2023, but 2024, 2025, if he's still with us, like we're going to grow a much bigger thing and uh, he can grow with us and he believes in our mission and really speaks our mission. I love that. And that's what we do with Action Academy. We do uh, only internal hires until we get to, I think, about the 3 million mark. Once we hit the 3 million mark, going from 3 to 10, that's when Mm -hmm. we're probably going to do an outside hire. But for right now, it's all internal because they are your culture. It's not only do they embody your culture, they are your culture. And like I've got Caitlin, who's my right hand, and then we're building the entire team within Action Academy. So it's, it's like for the people, by the people. And so that's what I love that you guys are doing. And advice that I've gotten on that is for outside hire, save three months of the salary and mm-hmm. just take a calculated risk. Take a bet. 
they're like, okay, if it's a hundred thousand dollar position that you're hiring for, or in Gary Keller's, for instance, like a sixty thousand dollar executive assistant that's domestic, he's I'm gonna save three months salary, and then we've got a three month trial period. We're gonna date for three months here, see how it goes, and then if not, I'm just gonna count that three months as like a wash. But by that point, you should be making a return on that salary. And so I thought that was a pretty cool rule of thumb. And the reason I asked that, and we can go into land flipping now, but it's just my goal for the podcast is I want everyone to develop passive income to build a business, to build businesses. Mm -hmm. That's the point. So before we get into the land flipping too, let's talk about this real quick. So you go from a dude that's living your passion to a degree, chasing your passion, at least what you thought was your passion, coaching college basketball for two years. $5,000. $5,000. What was it? $5,000 between two years? <laughs> so funny story behind this, Brian, is like $0 the first year. Actually, no, I'm sorry. $0 was planned the first year. Like I signed a contract. I don't know. You got to sign contracts, I guess, for $0 contracts. I signed this and our coach, unfortunately, I need to get you an agent. Good... I need to get you an agent. Dog. <laughs> I need something. <laughs> but there's like people in this industry, like college basketball coaching, there's people fighting over these like volunteer jobs. And I just emailed coaches like I just wanted a way in. And unfortunately, our coach had a pretty serious stroke in like December, like right before Christmas. So then it was me and one other coach who was paid also. And the ADs, Ron, will give you $5,000. Like you're now Aww. doing the job of two people. But uh, yeah, that, that's what that was like. It was crazy. Okay. So we go from that. And then what's your net? Everyone talks about gross. What was your net on these months? So you say you've got like 50, 100, 250 coming in. I know it fluctuates. Yep. But what's your normal like profit margin on that? Your take home so, for you and your brother? Yeah, so I probably six months, I knew I was going to be done with basketball coaching when my wife got pregnant. It just, it wasn't going to work. So probably six months before I knew that was going to end. And this is all like before COVID. This is all, it's just crazy time as far as my wife being pregnant. I was trying to work basketball and start this land flipping thing. So first couple months, and we do everything via direct mail, and I'm sure we'll get into this. It's sending landowners direct mail. Sure. But yeah, we're getting deals like coming in. Our first deal, we bought a buy for 5,000, sell for 15,000. We probably, we were negative 20, $30,000 at one point. We were trying to learn all this stuff and teach ourselves as we were doing this. A lot of testing that our students, people don't have to worry about as much anymore. But net was, those were the net numbers. Like we probably spend $10,000 in marketing dollars per month. We're probably doing, we were probably doing five to 15 deals a month with average profit of $17,000 per deal. So it just, it varies. We were making... 80 to 120 net pretty much consistently the first after the first three months learning period all that like once we got rolling it was like 100 net around there pretty consistently some months you're going to do 300 some months you're going to do 50 zero some months you have zero you have no deals close but overall like it was coming out to 100 to 150 net per month okay cool so <clears throat> we're going from five thousand dollars across two years <laughs> to like well, we'll just call it like 50 net in your pocket, just for layman's terms here, just for mm-hmm. example. That's a huge jump. And it was. There's the, so money is way more emotional and way, way more like tied to your mindset than people think. So, what was the emotional reaction to that? Like, how did you handle that? See, the thing about it is, it was just going into the next deal, honestly. Like, I buy something for 50, I sell for 100. My so it's next like house deal, I'm money. For, yeah, exactly. My next deal I'm buying for a hundred, I'm selling for two hundred. I've never we've never lost money on a deal ever. Like that's just something we buy right. That's our biggest thing is we buy but I had a seven hundred dollar mortgage in the middle of nowhere. That's it was a little rural town where a uh, division two college was and no one was there. Uh, so I was just like sitting in my home office all day doing this land stuff in my thirteen hundred square foot house and 
I was making more money than anyone in that town, I think. <laughs> yeah. So when's going to when's going to be the time where you splurge? When's going to be the time where you finally start to dip into the honeypot? I'm more the long-term investment. That's what I always, and, and the tax man comes yeah, every year, all okay. that stuff like that. <laughs> it, it's just, I don't know. I bought a car. Like I did buy a new car and this was, the car market was so crappy 12 months ago. And I bought yeah. a car, like that was a brand new car was a big thing for me, forty, fifty thousand $50,000, whatever it was. But uh, we're reinvesting a lot into these businesses that we're making. Like that's what I want to do. That's what I have a passion for on a day-to-day basis. That's what kind of drives me is building these businesses. And businesses take a lot of money to run if you want to build them fast because yeah. you need to hire people. Because I'm real, I'm huge in the hiring thing in terms of hiring the right people to grow my businesses. Thousand percent. So you talked about a good deal, which we'll get into what the parameters for that look like in land. First question is why land? Uh, you've got somebody that's in their corporate job right now listening to this, um, or maybe they have some real estate. They're looking across multifamily, Airbnb, commercial, self-storage. They're like, I need to generate some cash flow because equity doesn't pay the bills. Equity doesn't pay the mortgage. <laughs> so they're like, I need to generate cash flow. What should I pick? Why should they pick land? One reason it's it's not sexy, like you don't see land on HGTV, you don't see people flipping land on HGTV, and that's created like an amazing opportunity. Land and no, the way I talk about land flipping is never going to be like a severe, unless you have a business, people working under you, but it's not like passive income or like a long-term rental or a short Airbnb, which I know isn't 100% passive. Everyone tries to say it's working, it's developing working capital. Absolutely. If you make $100,000 at your sales job or whatever job it is, and you do this on the side, like you can add $200,000, $250,000. And that's working in to come to put maybe into those long-term things. But it's just the opportunity. Like I'm really big. And we talk about a lot in our with when we're talking to whatever, whoever it is, like opportunities, like land is a level 10 opportunity. And there's a few reasons for it. It's scalable, but because you can do so many deals, you can increase margins. It's very, there's low competition and you just that you don't see people doing this right now. And then there's also expandable. Like we do very basic land flipping. That's what we teach is very basic land flipping. You also have so many more opportunities beyond that in terms of building out subdivisions. Like the people who are not building subdivisions, cutting up a hundred acre piece of land into a hundred little parcels, those people are making tens of millions of dollars if they're doing it properly. Yeah. Now that's something that we're actively doing, but the long-term opportunity of it there is a limited amount of acreage in our country. There is an unlimited amount of parcels, though, because these parcels keep on getting cut up. And these it, they're just unlimited amount because they're going to keep getting cut up and keep getting smaller. And going on that, it's, just, it's the amount of income that you can make in a short amount of period. Like I said, it was three, four, five months in when we were starting to net $50,000. There's, there's not really anything else in real estate where you can do that. There's too big of a learning curve, in my opinion, in house flipping, house wholesaling, which are oversaturated in my opinion right now. And then obviously, if you have the long-term wealth building strategies and rentals, Airbnbs, you don't have cash flow like that. Ever, people are fighting for zero cash flow deals in some markets. Yeah, correct. So what we're talking about, guys, for anybody that's like <clears throat> newer to the investing journey, there's a difference between like passivity and active working capital. So you got passive income, active income. So what we're talking about, if you're in that job, you need almost that active income to get you out to replace that. So what we're talking about today is like the same thing as if you were to do wholesaling or house flipping and you were to make, able to make $20,000 of profit per deal cycle, then you could do four deals and theoretically replace your corporate income, right? If you're making six-figure salary. 
And the same with wholesaling or flipping. So there's a longer like life cycle of a deal when it comes to house flipping because you have to buy the house, construction, renovation, you have to acquisition, disposition, construction, all this good stuff. And so for land flipping, what's the average deal cycle length? Are we talking a 30-day turn? Are we talking 60-day? Are we talking a week? What's the average life so, cycle of a land deal? Yeah, so the greatest thing is we're not improving things. Like we don't, the reason like people sell land to us, a lot of times they inherit the land. A lot of times they're paying taxes. A lot of times like they're out-of-state owners and they're just paying taxes and they held the land for 30 years. And it's like, they're just trying to get rid of it for any dollar amount. We give them an offer. Typically our offer is between 40 to 50% of what it's actually worth. And the reason this is one, obviously we're trying to make money. And two is like, we are turning their illiquid asset into a very liquid asset. We're giving them a two week close. We're not trying to wholesale this. We're not trying to double close it, anything like that. We are offering them cash, whether it's 50,000, like we have offers going out for $800,000 cash on a piece of land and we'll close it in two weeks. I'll get all my due diligence completed in two weeks. The speed of things is what uh, gets sellers to sell their land to us. The point I wanted to bring up is you can't leverage debt service on land. It's a cash purchase. So for somebody that's listening to this, that's okay, this is interesting. They maybe want to tune out right now, but let's keep them. Stay with us, guys. For If you want to get into this game, somebody may be listening to this. I don't have $100,000, $300,000 laying around in cash to be able to do this. What does that look like to be able to develop your liquidity in order to take down these parcels? So there's a lot of, and we're, we do it a lot with people in our community is deal funding. So what that looks like is we'll pay a hundred percent of the purchase price. Let's say Brian brings me a deal, 200,000, 300,000, 5,000. It doesn't matter. He brings me the deal. I review it as a good deal. Let's say we can buy for 200, sell for $400,000, which is a very normal deal in this. Brian doesn't put up any money. Brian's considered the manager in this relationship. I'm considered the investor. I will pay for Brian's deal a hundred percent. Brian's responsible for selling the deal. This is not debt. This is the important like thing. This is not debt. This is a partnership between me and Brian. We're going to have a profit split on the back end. Whether that property, if that property doesn't sell, I'll take over the property after a determined amount of time, maybe 12 months. So if Brian doesn't do his job and sell the property within 12 months, I'm going to take it and I'm going to sell it and take all the profit. But that's being said, if he sells it in four months, we're going to have some kind of profit split. So we've had people who have zero, not zero dollars, $5,000 in their bank account. One of our students just did a deal. They bought it for $600,000. They didn't put a dime into it and they just went under contract for $1.35 million. They are getting 75% of that profit without any money out of their pocket. So they're going to make four or $500,000 on a single land deal without any... They, their investor's happy too. It wasn't us, but their investor is going to make one hundred fifty grand on their $600,000 investment while they're going to make six hundred grand or whatever that number comes out to. So... There's money in the community. There's different types of money than a bank relationship. We're not bank relationships the way we do things. That's more risk on you as the manager, Brian, where ours is we're risking our money. There's obviously a big upside for us. It costs a little more than a bank relationship. But that being said, it's not that the liability that you would have with a bank relationship. So you're leveraging private money and hard money, correct? Absolutely. And we do it too. Like We do it for our deals all the time. Like We're not... I, I'm very picky with how, where I put my money and stuff like that. And we want to put our money in some of our students' deals. We want to put money in some of our own deals. We get money all the time. There's hundreds, there's millions of dollars, five, 10, 15 million dollars of liquid cash in our community in terms of people looking to invest in good deals. Okay. So we take down the deal. What is the order of relationships that people should develop when they're 
first pursuing this, yeah. let me clarify the question. If I'm looking to go into land flipping, is this something to where I should start with developing a list of end buyers and end developers in the local markets and zip codes first, asking them what they're looking for, and then beginning lead generation efforts? Or is this something where I should begin with lead generation efforts, get deals under contract, and then find an end buyer? Slash, And then you can also include where at which stage should you establish relationships with the money lenders? Absolutely. If that Um, made sense. 100%. That's a really good question. So we have people who do it your first... Exactly. We have people who do it your first way, where you are finding the end buyer first. I don't think it's as scalable, in my opinion, because it's then you have to line up an end buyer previous to when you have the deal. We Like I said, we've never lost money on a deal. So if you're buying right, it doesn't matter. Our end buyer is typically not developers. It's end buyers. It's people who want a cabin 60 minutes outside of Atlanta. It's people who want to just own some hunting land hour, two hours out of whatever city. Those are our end buyers. It's not necessarily developers, stuff like that. So we get our, we pull a list. So in X County, Georgia, we pull a list of zero to 100 acres and that five to 100 acres. We don't really do small parcels. Five to 100 acres. We're going to send them mail basically saying, I'm interested in purchasing your price per excuse me, purchasing your property, I'll pay you X dollars. Our offer actually has, our letter has an offer price on there. And then we'll get calls. We get about 1% people calling us back. We have negotiations to go from there. And then as you're getting leads coming back, that's when you want to start. If you're not already networking with potential investors, start talking to them because you're going to need to get that lined up. If you get something under contract, it's a fast process. Due diligence, get your funding lined up and then closing the deal, getting to title and then closing the deal. Everything happens really fast once you get these things under contract because that is our big sales pitch with these sellers. Okay, so you say buying right, buying right, buying right. So what is a good buy box for land? Where could people go wrong here? Because there's about 974 ways that somebody can buy a house flip incorrectly. So what does that look like for land? What are the red flags to look out for in a parcel to where you're like... Because otherwise, if it was that easy, everyone could just be like, oh, I'm going to go buy this $400,000 piece of land and then just simply sell it for $800,000. So I guess, what are the red flags to look out for? And then how are we achieving this margin? Just to play devil's Um, advocate here. Because like for a house, for distressed property, hey, I understand as the homeowner, I've got to put $120,000 into this thing. I need to do new foundation, new roof. I don't want to do that. You take it, you take the problem. So for me in my head, as the person that doesn't invest in land yet, I'm like, okay, if somebody has this and and it's very apparent that it can sell for $100,000, why sell to you for fifty? Yeah. Two questions there. Well, tackle so, the red flags first. <laughs> yeah. So the red flags, it comes out in due diligence most of the time. HOAs is a really big thing. Like you need to be, there are what <laughs> I call, oh my gosh, that's the worst. What I call paper subdivisions. If you ever look at an aerial view, you'll see like blank lot or blank like subdivisions. And these are HOAs or they are HOAs that were created and no one wanted to build there because how many restrictions? If you don't, see, if you see an area and you're the, you're one of the vacant parcels out of a hundred vacant parcels all around. And then you have one little house. That house is probably the person who owns the entire HOA and they just did it wrong. If you're, you have that one parcel and everything around it is built. Okay. That's not a red flag. That's a good thing by means of desirability, but you got to do your, why is this not built on? That's always my question when I see that. So it's both sides slope. Obviously you want to think of the end buyer in mind. Like if you are trying to buy a piece of land, 
what would you be looking for? Okay, if I'm looking for a two acre lot, like I want it to be flat. Maybe I want a little cleared area. I sure as I sure as heck don't want it to be wet. So you look for wetlands. You look for how to how the terrain is. It's a simpler due diligence period by any for sure than house flipping. You don't have to deal with the structure or anything like that being wrong. So it, it's it, that's the hardest thing in this I just, business. Yeah. I jumped into land for a split second and a half, and I, I seem to remember also geographic location. So, like, how close mm-hmm. to a major highway or major roadway was the thing that we were looking for. I remember like something about utilities and like sewer lines. Is this something that that's got like lines run to it yet? Is that I forget the terminology behind yeah. it, but is that in the same ballpark? Not really, honestly. Like, we're doing it in rural America. We like to be about two hours away from urban cities, bigger cities. Okay. Uh, so a lot of times, and we're not doing infill lots. And when I say infill lots, it's a lot that is only meant for a mobile home or building a house. What I like is two, two and a half, three acre, five acre lots, hundred acre lots. I don't want half acre lots. And the half acre lots are what there is so much risk in because there's only a little spot for you to put your house, your mobile home, whatever it is. If something's wrong with the lay of that land, if someone's something's wrong or it's rocky, whatever it is, your whole land screwed up. Where if you have five acres, 10 acres, that's a lot of space. A septic system's probably going to be able to go somewhere on that land. There's a lot less risk in that. So that's a way going for bigger lots is a lot less risky, in my opinion. And right now, it's just a lot easier to sell big lots than it is to sell an info lot because not many people are building right now, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So where does the margin come from in land flipping? Why does somebody sell to you guys? Is it just as the is it just a non-sophisticated seller for the most part where they're just like i have no idea you're offering me this random amount of cash i've been sitting on this forever sure so we see it sometimes <laughs> yeah exactly so that's that's not like a sometimes they don't realize exactly what it's worth but at the same time it's only worth what we are making it worth by the way we market things like i said okay. we're 2 hours outside of urban america there are not many realtors you go look for a realtor in the middle of nowhere, there's not options for them to sell it. We're giving them, a, to be frank, in this market, in this recession, whatever you want to call it, a lot of people need money. So we're giving them an option for money. Some of them bought it for $5,000 20 years ago. We're offering them $50,000 now. They're paying two, $500, whatever it is, $1,000 a year on taxes. They're like, sure, I'll do this. So it's not really an unsophisticated buyer as much as someone just like trying to get it off their hands. And they have someone with cash in hand. The people that struggle in this business are people who try to wholesale it and then they try to find an end buyer. And then these sellers get really frustrated because they're having trouble finding end buyers with land. It's easier to wholesale a piece a house, but wholesaling a piece of land is a difficult thing. Okay, so what's the difference between what y'all are doing versus the wholesale process of land? We're buying it. Like we're going, once we do that due diligence, we're buying that. So people who try to wholesale land are getting under contract to sell the person's land. Okay. And take a spread. And then they're going to double close through title or whatever the situation is. And those people, they lose sellers all the time because they get frustrated over 90 days. The sellers, we get so many sellers that come to us and they ask us like, are you guys actually buying this piece of land? Or are you guys like trying to find an end buyer? Yes, we're going to find an end buyer. And we're very honest with them. We're going to find an end buyer, but we are buying this parcel for you first. We got the money ready to go. Just give us a couple of weeks for title to get back. Okay. So there's you, somebody listens to this. They buy a plot of land two hours out of rural, two hours out of Atlanta. Maybe call it like ball ground or something like up like you, because you were talking about the mountains and stuff or like LJ. 
They yeah. buy 30 acres or whatever, $200,000. They've got the cash. They've got an investor. They buy the property. Then what end buyer, like how do they find an end buyer? What end buyers are there? You said it was mostly like people that are looking just like solo individual buyers. Is there somewhere that we list this? Is it like an MLS list? Is there a service? Mm-hmm. What happens for the end buyer if somebody throws down 200K, buys the land? They're like, okay, I own this now. Now what? Yeah, so we post everywhere. Like we get very high quality drone pictures on these pieces of land. We market it like it's a $10 million property. That's something we live by is marketing our, whether it's a $50,000 piece of land or a million dollar piece of land, we're going to market it to the best of our ability with the best high quality pictures. That helps sell properties that gets more eyes on our property. We're going to list on the MLS. We don't, sometimes we will have a realtor in an area and have a relationship. Other times we'll post on what's called a flat rate broker, which is basically someone who just will post on the MLS for us. We'll post on what's called land.com, an amazing website for selling land. We'll post on Facebook Marketplace. We get about 20% of our buyers on Facebook, believe it or not, but it's how we portray the land. It's the marketing money we put into it and all that really helps sell it. And the end buyers, like you said, it could be someone looking for hunting land. It could be someone just looking for investment. If you think of it from an investment standpoint and you know an area really well, some of these pieces of land, I own a piece of land in Kentucky. It's 40 acres. It's probably market value about 200. And this is a long term hold for us. We bought it for like 110. It's worth 200, I think. We pay $80 of taxes per year, like nothing else. There are no other holding expenses. And we're, that property is going up in value $20,000, $30,000 every single year. And we are paying $80 and we can go hunt on it. We can go use it, do whatever we want. So the tax, the long-term investor and diversifying for long-term investors are a lot of our buyers as well. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> Side note, I was just thinking about how much somebody probably paid for the domain land.com. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Holy hell, dude, that's awesome, man!" Always fun to learn about new asset classes and different strategies that are a little bit off the beaten trail, pun intended. There, because that's exactly what you're doing. You're buying the literal beaten yep. trail, dude. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So, where can people find out more about what you guys do? I know you guys are doing. You and your brother are doing a lot of online education, and yep. you've got your own thing as well. So, if somebody's interested in learning from you or speaking with you, where can they find you? So we have a YouTube. We put a lot of free content out, Land Investing Online, landinvestingonline.com. That's Land Investing Online. I say that kind of fast, but yeah, that's the best place to find me. Instagram at Ron Apke. And I'm just, that's what we're trying to, we're trying to spread the message, Brian, just like you. Dude, that's awesome. Hey, you can't hate that, man, because like at the end of the day, look, we're all trying to build passive income. I think passive income has become so sexy over the last decade or two. And that's what everyone talks about. But now I think everyone is more so waking up to the fact that it's degrees of passivity. And if you're really wanting to build true passive income, it's like you've got to have that active income and that cash and that nest egg to be able to have the freedom and the time space and the mental space to be able to do that. So Man, this has been awesome today. This has been a really cool 30-minute masterclass on land flipping and being able to have another bona fide cash flow strategy to get somebody out of their job, likely within six months. And that's what we're talking about, baby. So I appreciate you coming on, man. It's been awesome. Awesome. I really appreciate you having me, Brian. I appreciate everything you do for your community. Like every, I've listened to all your content and stuff like that. It's awesome what you're doing. And it's the same message, guys. I, I love it. 
Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. And so guys, go follow Ron and his brother. Check them out. Check out their YouTube channel and ride off into the sunset and then buy the land that you're viewing the sunset on. So <laughs> with that, this has been Brian and Ron with the Action Academy podcast signing off. Hey, real quick. If you're still listening to today's episode, I'm assuming you got value from it. So I need your help specifically. My two-year vision with this show is to help over 1 million people do what they want, when they want, with who they want, and I can only do that with your help. There are two main ways that a podcast grows. One is through ratings and reviews, and the other is word of mouth. If you could please leave me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as send this to one or two friends that you think would get value from it, we can reach the people that we're looking to reach. Thanks in advance. Talk tomorrow.